Welcome to the Littler Labor and Employment Podcast, conversations about employment and labor law issues that impact the workplace. Good morning, afternoon, or evening, depending on when you're listening to us. As we promised, we're back again with part two of our candid COVID conversation focusing on vaccines and some of the nuances related with them. This is Kimberly Dow, the Office Managing Shareholder in Littler's Orlando office. And this is Nancy Johnson. I'm here along with Kimberly again. Today, we have another great legal mind with us to help us talk through this difficult issue. I'd like to introduce you to Finn Presley. He's a shareholder in our Miami office. Hey, Kim and Nancy. I'm super excited to be here. My name is Finn Presley. I'm a partner in our Miami office, and I specialize in health and welfare benefits. And I'm here to talk a little bit about the benefits implications of the COVID incentives. Well, welcome, Finn. We're happy to have you. As a reminder, last podcast, we started our conversation about vaccines, the logistics regarding vaccination distribution in Florida, and the biggest question facing employers, whether to mandate, encourage, or stay silent about vaccinating your workforces. Today, we're going to dig a little bit deeper into one of the issues that we've been getting a lot of questions about, whether an employer can provide its employees an incentive for being vaccinated. As you know from our last conversation, employers are grappling with more than just the decision of whether to mandate, encourage, or stay silent on vaccinating their workforces. Now, let's assume as an employer, we made the decision to encourage vaccination. What do we do? Well, before I let Finn jump in here, one thing to remember is that the CDC has published a lot of great educational content for employers to distribute to their workforces if they want to, including um, there's, there's links to posters, stickers, slides, fact sheets, all kinds of very useful information. It really is easy to get on the CDC's website. They call it their COVID-19 Vaccination Communication Toolkit for Community-Based Organizations. And they have mentioned that they will continue to add more material to that toolkit. Employers have been asking about other tools, such as setting up some sort of incentive plan to go along with general education and encouraging messaging. Yes, I've heard a lot of those questions, too, and that's why we've brought Finn in here today, to help us understand some of the good, the bad, the ugly associated with incentivizing COVID vaccination in the workplace. Well, let me ask Finn to join our conversation then by starting at what I think is the very beginning of this topic. Finn, can employers incentivize vaccination? Absolutely. There are a lot of different ways you can go down this road. What I want to do today is just sketch out kind of some of those guardrails, just so you have an understanding of what the parameters are, because there's just so many choices right now. So it's important to understand which direction you can take this. Well, why would employers want to set up an incentive plan, Finn? It sounds like there are some potential pitfalls if it's not set up correctly. How can they avoid trouble? You know, it's interesting. In the U.S., employers have a much greater stake in employees' health than they do in other countries. You know, because of employer-sponsored health care, there's already this idea that the employer has a vested interest in the employee's health. So many employers already have very robust wellness programs that may include things like flu shots, tobacco cessation. So the idea of a COVID vaccine slots into some of those existing you know, cultural points that we have with just the way healthcare is delivered in the U.S. And then on top of that, we obviously have the, the more employer side of the fence concerns, things like getting back to normal, basically, as quickly as possible, ensuring continuity of business. 
you know, making sure that those folks that are there on site have been vaccinated for COVID just because, you know, for general public health purposes, this is something that they want to ensure. So there's a lot of different reasons to incentivize. And I think that's why this issue is getting so much attention. Yeah. And so like you just mentioned, Finn, when when I hear incentive program that's offered by an employer, what I think of initially is is the, hey, if you'll stop smoking, I'll give you maybe a discount on your health insurance premium, something like that. Is that what we're talking about here? I mean, generally, yes. You know, the stakes are a little bit higher now. Obviously, you know, tobacco cessation is one of those things where, you know, there's obviously the, the monetary component of trying to avoid lung disease. Um, and a lot of wellness plans have that in mind. They're trying to incentivize healthy behavior, theoretically, to lower the cost on the health insurance plan. With the COVID vaccine, it's, you know, that plus so much more. We now have the, the pandemic. We have the responsibility from a public health standpoint and just from an employee safety standpoint to try to incentivize this. So it's those exact same concepts that you mentioned, just, you know, times 100 now. So what are the parameters within which an employer would have to operate an incentive program? So it all depends on how you want to structure it. Wellness programs are a very strange area in employee benefits because there is no one set of rules. Because wellness programs develop so organically uh, just to respond to different needs, there isn't one specific agency that took over regulation of wellness programs. So we back into the regulations based on the design. So we kind of start with, okay, what do you want to do? What are you thinking about doing with this program? And then that tells us which regulations we have to comply with. And the two biggest ones to focus on are regulations issued by the DOL and regulations issued by the EEOC. The IRS is also involved. So you may hear a little bit about that. And that's simple. Any reward that you give out that's cash or cash equivalent has to be taxed. Even though this is kind of medically adjacent, we're, we're giving a reward for something that's involved in health, it's still a taxable event. If you give them a gift card or some type of, uh, of cash item or something that can be easily priced. But that aside, that's a pretty simple one. The two big areas of regulations are the DOL regs and the EEOC regs. Okay, so Uncle Sam gets gets his share. Right. Uh, let, let's talk about the Department of Labor concerns. So the Department of Labor is involved here because there's a rule under HIPAA, and we always think of HIPAA as being privacy, but HIPAA is kind of like a junk drawer. There's all sorts of stuff that lives in HIPAA. And one of the rules under HIPAA is that a group health plan can't discriminate based on a health factor. So if you think about some of those wellness programs that Nancy just listed, things like a smoking cessation program, if you're charging a higher premium for someone who smokes, you're obviously discriminating based on a health factor. So that's why a lot of wellness programs trigger these DOL rules. And so the DOL says, and again, in response to the fact that so many employers offer wellness programs, the DOL said, okay, here's how you can make this work. If you follow our regs, your health plan can discriminate based on a health factor. Those are only going to be triggered if your reward is a medical plan premium, either reward or a penalty, depending on vaccination stats. And I'm not hearing a lot of employers wanting to go that route. If you do, just know you can do it. You just have to comply with a bunch of different regulations that are issued by the DOL. The two biggest ones to watch are there's a cap on the reward that you can offer. And if your existing wellness program 
already maxes out that cap, you may be in trouble. You may not have much, you know, there may not be much daylight between your current reward and the cap. So be aware of that. And two, and most importantly, you have to offer what's called a reasonable alternative for anyone that doesn't feel like doing it. You don't have to have a medical condition. You can just say, I don't feel like quitting smoking. And so that's why a lot of smoke cessation programs, in, in lieu of quitting smoking, you can just go and sit through a class and still get the tobacco-free price. You'd have to do the same thing here. Someone could just raise their hand and say, yeah, I don't want to get COVID vaccinated. So give me the reward anyways. And you'd have to figure out what a plan B is. So again, that set of regs only applies if your reward is going to be a medical plan premium. Does that make sense? It does. Do you have any examples of what some alternatives might be if somebody says, I don't want to get the vaccination? I mean, employer has that plan in place. That's a great question. And no one's really come up with what that good, reasonable alternative would be with for example, the smoking penalty, that's an easy one. You just send them to a smoking cessation program. I mean, I don't know what it would be for the COVID vaccine, like watch an hour of the news. I mean, I don't know what the equivalent <laughs> like educational program would be for the COVID vaccine, because essentially you can never force anyone to change anything about their health. So, you know, if you're curious as to why your own wellness program is structured the way it is, that's probably why there's always going to be that alternative. You, it's always watching movies or something like that. So that ends up taking out some of the teeth of the program, right? You know, because, you know, we want to have a great reward, something that people want to strive for and get that COVID vaccine, but there's always an off-ramp. There's always an easy shortcut. So kind of deflate some of those programs. Well. Mm-hmm. You also mentioned that EEOC may have some interest in regulating incentive plans. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, for a long time, the EEOC was, we call it the sleeping giant because the EEOC regulates the ADA. And the ADA says, you know, at very high level, an employer can't force an employee to either submit to a medical examination or answer questions about a disability. So if you think about a lot of common wellness programs, yeah, they involve either a medical exam, you've got to go get your blood tested at your doctor, you've got to get your cholesterol tested, or you have to fill out like a questionnaire. Uh, we call them a, an HRQ, a health risk questionnaire. So right off the bat, you're kind of violating the ADA right there because there's this, there's this theory that maybe if the reward is too high or the penalty is too great, the employer is forcing the employee to do that. And those regs have been in flux. They proposed some regs. They had some final regs. They were withdrawn. We had some proposed regs come out a few months ago, and it all turns on what the reward can be. The last set of regs that went out before they were withdrawn basically said you can only do a de minimis reward, like a water bottle. I'm not sure why they were so focused on water bottles, but that came up a lot in the regulation. So that's why it's it's really important to watch these regs. The good news is is that in December, the EEOC said merely asking whether or not someone has been COVID vaccinated, that's not an examination and it's not a disability-related inquiry. So if your program is just simply giving someone a reward, if they say they're vaccinated, that takes you out of those EEOC regs. It can get complicated if you're now involved in the distribution of the vaccine, because apparently, and I I wouldn't know, because I'm probably years away from getting the vaccine here, uh, apparently when you sit down, there's there's a lot of questions that are asked by the professional giving you the vaccine. 
And some of those could be disability related. And if the employer is involved in that, that could be seen as the employer asking those questions. But if this is just the employee coming forward with proof of a vaccination, that's very unlikely to trigger those EEOC regulations. So, so let me jump in here for a second. It sounds like maybe you should listen to our last episode because we talked a little bit about that. And Kim and I had talked about suggesting that employers actually have their employees go off-site to maybe their own medical provider or to the local pharmacy or wherever wherever vaccines are available in Florida instead. Um, is that your recommendation also? Yeah, absolutely. I think the more you can keep some distance between you and the actual delivery of the vaccine, the better from a benefits compliance standpoint. Now, obviously, there are going to be times, especially now, where maybe the employer needs to take an additional step to ensure access to that. They maybe need to enter into contracts, and and that's something you're going to have to weigh. But ideally, if I was sketching this out, absolutely send the employees to Publix to have this done, and they just come back with proof of the vaccination. Your hands are clean. You're you're not involved in that process. Uh, and you're not triggering a lot of these regulations either. Well, that all sounds great and relatively simple to set up. Why would an employer not want to do that? You know, a lot of this comes down to employee relations. Wellness programs are very controversial in the workplace. Specifically, tobacco cessation programs have proven to be very, very controversial. Some employees push back on this. They don't like the fact that their employer is getting involved in their health. And they're saying, you know, my choice to lose weight or be healthy shouldn't be costing me money at work. You know, why am I now having to pay an additional premium just because I smoke? You know, those types of concerns can sometimes rub employees the wrong way. So be aware of that as well. The other thing to think about too is, you know, is this incentive really going to do it. I mean, right now, if you told me the vaccines were being given out, like at Jackson Memorial, I would be running down I-95, like Kelly Ben Simone, through traffic to get that vaccine. I wouldn't say like, oh, I'm going to get a $50 gift card. Maybe I will get vaccinated. Like, I don't think it's going to tip the balance the same way it does with something like a flu shot program or getting my cholesterol checked. So I think it's a good idea. But I think if someone, this is just based truly on no studies, this is just my own kind of gut thought on this. If someone is averse to getting the COVID vaccine, I don't know how many water bottles you're going to have to throw at them to get them over that hump. I feel like people either want to get it or they're not going to get it. Whatever this incentive is, I can't imagine that just someone saying, well, for 50 bucks, I may as well try it. I think people are either going to get it or they're not. So before you go down that road and start, because this could be expensive, depending on how many um, employees you have, this could be a big financial rollout. Think about whether or not your population really needs that push. You know, think about, you know, in, in employers, you know your workforce. Think about whether or not, you know, based on location, based on kind of general corporate culture, do they need this extra push? Because you may just be throwing money at something that doesn't really need an incentive. Again, that is just purely my own, you know, based on nothing. There's no footnote to that sentence other than that's just kind of my own thoughts on this as someone that is desperate to get the vaccine. Well, we definitely appreciate the the Finn Presley 411 and, and giving us all this information about incentive programs and the COVID vaccine. Uh, you've definitely given our audience a lot to think about. 
I think we need to stop here for the day unless you've got any other any other last minute tips for our audience. No, I'm super excited to join you all. I love having an all Florida podcast. This is a lot of fun. And um, I hope you invite me back. Anytime, anytime. We'd love to have you here. As always, should um, those of you listening have any additional questions on this topic or any other related topics or have any topics that you want us to cover next time, you can find us, all of us, at Littler Mendelssohn. You can email us directly. I'm at najohnson at littler, L-I-T-T-L-E-R.com. Kimberly's at kdowd, D-O-U-D, at littler.com. And Finn, you can also email. I'm sure he'd be happy to hear from you at fpresley, P-R-E-S-S-L-E-Y, at littler.com. Nope, take that back. Nope. Nope. (laughs) Nancy, that was so close. It's like expressly (laughs) without the E-X. Everyone wants to spell it like Elvis. It's F-P-R-E-S-S-L-Y. Or you can find us on LinkedIn, too. There we go. Good teaching moment for everybody. Not like Elvis. The majestic sideburns like Elvis, but not that way. Well, I'm still thinking about the image of you running down I-95. So I hope there's a safer way that you'll be able to get to your COVID vaccination when it's available to you. But next time, we'll continue digging into the vaccination questions and move on to unique considerations of a unionized workplace. As always, we appreciate your time listening. Keep your heads up. We will continue to bring our candid analysis your way to help everyone keep moving forward. Remember, it's a new day in America. The purpose of this program is to provide helpful information for employers addressing the latest developments in labor and employment relations. It is not a substitute for experienced legal counsel and does not provide legal advice or attempt to address the numerous factual issues that arise in any employment-related issue. To discover other labor and employment podcast series from Littler, the largest global employment and labor law practice, visit littler.com slash podcasts.